Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here with my guy, Mike Renner. We, this is PFF's Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. And for that reason, on the ticker below on the live YouTube stream, you will be seeing PFF Mike's latest 2020 NFL Draft Big Board. We're also going to be diving into the Belitnikov Award finalists or semifinalists. Mm-hmm. We're going to definitely be diving into that. Some good names on that one. Then we'll also be diving into Raise a Glass segment, talking about some of the top prospect performances from the weekend. We'll also be going to our Rolling Rooks segment. Something talking about the top rookie performances from you got the pour week. one out. Oh, Come and, on. and I skipped over pour one out. Pour one out. We also have pour one out. We're talking about some of those bad prospect performances. Rolling rooks, top rookies, blackout, bad rookies, and then we're going to chug a prospect. We're going to be chugging we to a. Yeah. We're going to be chugging to a tag of Iloa. Obviously, his season is over Sad. in Alabama. It's a good opportunity to talk about him as a prospect in full. Chug it down. All right, let's get right into it. Let's talk about this Belinikoff Award finalist. I know you're a voter. I think mm, you humble brag. I am. In no the big article. deal. <laughs> humble I'm brag. one of like, I thought it was cool when I got invited, and it turns out there's like a thousand voters. Mm-hmm. Sam like, Monson's a voter. Too. Yeah, they gave it to like a few guys here that I'm like, they don't even watch college. Yeah, what is yeah, going yeah. on? Like Sam, yeah. He didn't even watch Sam college, even so watch I felt a little, <laughs> he didn't even know football. <laughs> but um, yeah, I am a voter, so I voted... 10 this was last week to mm-hmm. get down to this list uh, of 12 which gave me 10 votes to get down to 12 that one didn't really make sense but uh here we are with the 12 so yep let's go ahead and kick it off with uh minnesota not not eligible for this draft but minnesota wide receiver rashad bateman ended up becoming a semifinalist. what's your take on his game yeah kind of overtook tyler johnson there crazy as a sophomore tyler johnson a senior uh, i'm really excited to see him going forward he didn't make so this next vote I only get three. He didn't make the cut mm-hmm. of that. He'll have a turn next year, though. I think he'll be he'll be fine next year playing with Tanner Morgan there in Minnesota. That's a nice little combo going forward for them. That's another thing, too. We talked about Bateman on last podcast or not Bateman, um, Tanner Morgan on mm-hmm. last week's podcast, talking about him as a potential quarterback prospect in the making. He's earned high grades this season. You love that production early him going into 2020 with Rashad Bateman coming back to school. I think that is a tandem to bank on for sure. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and move forward here right down the list. Omar Bayless, a guy that not a lot of people have probably heard about. About Arkansas State wide receiver. I looked at the numbers today. He ranks inside the top 20 in PFF yards per route run. He also has well, he a, leads the country in yards also. Oh, he leads the country in yards also. And then also he ranks high in PFF receiving grade. This guy is grading really well at a very small school. When you turn on the tape, what do you see? Yeah, I mean, they just pump him targets. He, he's he's bigger. He's a bigger wide receiver at 6'3", 207, kind of, you know, against the competition he's playing against. Uh, physically dominant. I, I don't love him as a prospect still kind of a late round guy for me uh this is being his senior year his only year uh his breakout year had only 566 yards a season ago they've just been pumping up targets so he has almost twice as many targets as he did all of last year 106 already there for them but yeah he went up against georgia early in the year he did play some legit competition watched some of him in that game seven catches 54 yards all kind of underneath stuff I, I don't love his ability down the football field okay well someone you do love their ability down the football field and i know he made your final three for the votes did jamar chase of lsu another underclassman like rashad bateman two both of those guys are going to be at the top of the 2021 nfl draft board for receivers jamar chase looks like the best receiver at lsu and that's above justin jefferson in my opinion he looks very good specifically down the football field has legit nfl speed yeah that's the big thing is we've talked about how some of justin jefferson's production will fake you know over the middle He's beaten zone coverage, wide open on crossers, that sort of thing. You can't really fake outside production. Jamar Chase pretty much solely an outside wide receiver there in the LSU offense. Has had to win down the football field. Look at this past week, 227 yards against Ole Miss, three touchdowns. I mean, he just went off in that game. All eight catches go for first downs or touchdowns for him in that one. I I just think he is a special, he'll be a special prospect next year. He'll be in that first round conversation. Yeah, name scouting, I'm definitely diving into this guy. He's also a Mm. Bolitnikov semifinal Liberty Flames wide receiver Antonio Gandy Golden and looking at this guy's production in every game he's played this year he has a reception of over 25 yards yeah. every game but one that is pretty incredible I think when you turn on the tape six foot four 220 pounds but he is a better mover than that size might suggest mm-hmm. I think Gandy Golden because he plays for Liberty is flying under the radar but this guy's pretty legit so he doesn't have great speed he's probably going to run around four six I'd guess but he has quickness for a guy uh, that's on the bigger end of the spectrum four wide receivers uh, I 
really only played one legit, you know, power five school, I believe this year at, at uh, Liberty there. Cause they're just, you know, it's their first year as being an FBS team. Syracuse, the only one, but I loved his releases in that game. Still went for over a hundred yards, 119 yards in that game. I think uh, he can get off press coverage. And I, I think the senior bowl is going to be huge for him. He's a guy who just, that will be big for his evaluation. Those one-on-one drills against actual cornerbacks. How do you look? Do you have that say, do you still physically dominant against those guys? That'll be big for him, but I think compared to you know Omar Bayless, who those two are one and two right now in terms of receiving yards in college football. Bayless, I don't think is a great prospect. I think Antonio Golden, Gandy Golden, a legit NFL prospect. He actually made our top hundred in the latest uh, PFF draft board, which go check out. I think uh, you said, I, I like how you said legit Power Five competition because they did go against Rutgers. <laughs> yeah, that's another that's another team. But again, but no, this, yeah, legit. Th- this past week though, BYU it, ten ten receptions from eighteen targets for one hundred and sixty eight yards and a touchdown. I think this is tape mm-hmm. you need to turn on if you haven't watched the liberty yet i'm sure a lot of people have but if you haven't make sure you go turn on the tape and check out antonio gandy golden let's go to isaiah hodgins this is one of my favorite prospects to bring up because i think the hype around him is significant there are people who really do like isaiah hodgins as an nfl prospect largely because of the production the yeah. size but I think the biggest thing you pull away on the tape with Isaiah Hodgins is he doesn't have that quickness, doesn't have that separation ability. You covet at the receiver position and in contested catch situations, you'd like to even even see him be better than what he is right now. Yeah, he's just not sudden and you have to be you just have to be sudden to win at the NFL level unless you're uh, either incredibly fast or uh, incredibly large. Uh, He's neither of those really. So he's just. The biggest stat to me, the most telling stat for him is he only has 11 broken tackles on 163 career catches. Like he just has not been anything to speak of after the catch. So that that to me is the biggest worry. He, he like another guy who I just think is uh, a lot of his production and he has good ball skills. Give him that. Just I, I don't think he's going to be able to separate the NFL level, which pretty much a non-starter for us. Moving forward here, Justin Jefferson, LSU wide receiver, not Jamar Chase. We alluded to it a little mm-hmm. bit. I'll say this. When I watch Justin Jefferson, I try and watch his targets every week, hoping that his biggest plays aren't on these deep crossers against zone coverage. But every time they are. it is against those holes but, in the zone, I want to see him beat one-on-one coverage. And you just rarely see it because he plays the slot so often and runs that, those routes over the middle against zone. It makes it difficult to really evaluate him in one-on-one situations. His production is legit. I do like his ability after the catch for his size. But again, you compare it to a guy like Jamar Chase or um, you know Michael Pittman, who plays outside receiver, Rashad Bateman. It's hard to really compare the two because he really has a lot of his production on those uh, crossing routes against zone. That is the biggest thing. And that's why when we did put like 18 guys in the preseason draft guy. I didn't put him in because he was an outside wide receiver last year and I didn't love uh, his ability to beat man coverage. And this year's moves to the slot. Production is great. His ball skills, I love. His ability in contest situations, very good and very good after the catch like you alluded to. I think he can be a good slot receiver at the NFL level. But a lot of guys can be good slot receivers at the NFL level. Mm-hmm. You will need those guys. The guys who can win on the outside are the true difference makers once you get to the league. The true special route runners. And we just haven't seen it with Jefferson. We just yeah. don't know. I yeah. mean, it's one of those things you just don't know so over a thousand yards this year that's great that's because he has the most accurate quarterback in the country throwing him the ball to the middle there absolutely uh tweeted that out it's already a rocket ship of a tweet there man you oh, just you just that. really oh. know social media <laughs> if we could after this podcast we could just get together and just workshop a couple things maybe over mm. a cup of coffee i don't know um justin jefferson i will say this i think i think it's important when you look at production i think there's a ton of you know draft pundits and, and, and fans interested in the draft and and look immediately to receiving production knowing where it comes from is very important mm. is it coming from the slot or is it outside what's his average depth of target and how often is he seeing one-on-ones that is very important when you're evaluating a prospect and a lot of that you can catch on film the all 22 even um but again with justin jefferson you see a thousand plus yards and you start to get gaga you got to turn on the tape and see what's going on there jerry judy alabama this guy didn't make your top three for the um, didn't make final the top three Blitnikoff awards uh, finalists there, but Jerry Judy's still a very good wide receiver. He's number wide receiver number one on yeah. our board. Yeah, he's still wide receiver number one on the board. So for the Blitnikoff award, I feel like my criterion was not solely production based, not solely talent based. You have to have the combination of both. And Judy's production this year just has not quite been up there with some of the other receivers in this class, with some of the guys that did end up making my top three. Had a bit of a drop issue, has 
you know, flared up on him this year, six drops on the year on 70 catchable and obviously not into concerning territory whatsoever. But you know, in terms of on field play, it does matter. And when in that LSU game, the one loss this year, three drops in that one. So that was not great. Uh, and he just hasn't had the same elite level, only 867 yards so far on the season for him. Yards per route is down a little bit from what we saw last year. I'm not it's not concerning to me. I mean, that's still very, very good production. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, like I said, I just, you didn't make the top three just because there's some special, it's a special wide receiver class. You gotta Absolutely. be, you gotta be doing something different to make the top three in this. I, I want to go back to Jamar Chase just a little bit here. Cause in the live chat on PFF's live YouTube channel, you got Heath Shaver calling Jamar Chase high speed chase. Big mm. fan of that nickname. That is fire. Good LSU's stuff. He's got a good nickname. Good based stuff on there. There Heath. Um, let's go to the guy that's number one on your Belitnikoff award list here. You're voting here. CD lamb of Oklahoma. The guy is an absolute monster. Great production, great NFL prospect. Like you said, be, meet, meets both those criterion for you. CD Lamb, very legit. Yeah, so the, he's leading the country in yards per route right now. Has 18 broken tackles on 44 catches. That is a crazy rate. Uh, the difference between him and second place in yards per route is the difference between second place and sixth place in yards per route. So he is way, way ahead of everyone else in terms of his efficiency numbers this year. 155.9 passer rating when targeted. Uh, the stats, you can go on and on and on. He has been dominant on the football field. Unfortunate they didn't get to play this past week against Baylor. Uh, would have liked to have seen him play all, you know, you want a guy to play every single game if he's going to win that award at the end of the year. But this guy, my number one still, if he comes back and produces down the stretch, he'll be, uh, I hope, the winner of this award. He's just been that good and is the sixth overall player on PFS draft board. Let's go to number two on your uh, Belitnikoff award votes here. Michael Pittman Jr. of USC, six foot four, two hundred twenty pounds, but does not move like that. He's very quick, very sudden, as opposed to some of the other bigger receivers in this class. And he's he can create separation, has sure hands, only two drops on the year, mm-hmm. some of the surest hands in college football, yeah. and also great in contested catch situations, great ball ball chart uh, ball charting, mm-hmm. ball plays, um, ball tracking is what I'm there looking you go. for. Yeah, Michael, ball something, ball something there. Michael Pittman though playing and has a, having an outstanding year in a deep USC receiving class. I do uh, receiving class receiving. <laughs> Man, I'm messing up here. Jeez. Michael Pittman Just throw Jr. it to me. Just let me talk. Michael All right, Pittman let's go. Jr. Michael Pittman Jr. Yeah, the two drops, and one of them was this past week against Cal where it was like, we called it a drop because, yes, it did hit both of his hands, but it was a guy was hanging all over him. Realistically, he probably shouldn't have even got to the ball in the first place. It was a good play to get there. But back-to-back weeks now with 10-plus catches, 140-plus yards, he is just so good on that intermediate route tree. And then in those downfield situations, his body control and his hands, uh, about as good as it gets in the country. So it's 6'4", 220. He is what you, if you're going to draft a big receiver who's not going to separate at a super high level down the football field, this is what you want them to look like. You want them to have elite ball skills. You want them to have elite hands to where... Uh, similar to a Michael Thomas, I'm not putting him, I'm not calling him Michael Thomas, but Michael Thomas does not, you know, run the go route and the post, a deep post at a high level. He is not Tyreek Hill in that regard. He's mm-hmm. not Antonio Brown in that regard. But on the inter, any sort of intermediate underneath route, he's going to win. And if a guy is hanging on, if a guy is behind him at the catch point, he's still going to catch that ball. He is like that because he is elite at all those underneath and intermediate traits that you need. So I think that is what uh, you should be looking for if that's the type of receiver you want in your offense. Michael Pittman is that guy 50, 53 on our big board right now. Probably still moving up with his performance this year. Riser. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go to James Prochet of SMU. That's another receiver that's had great production for SMU. In addition to Reggie Robertson, he's definitely a very crafty receiver, good route runner. Talk to me about him. Yeah, we've talked about him a bunch, I think, on this one, uh, on this podcast about uh, he was a microbrew, I think, early on mm-hmm. in the year. We've highlighted him and raised a glass segment a handful of times. Just incredibly productive. And uh, I keep going back to the way he attacks the football. For a 5'11", 190-pound guy, he puts his body on the line, going over the middle of the football field. Not going to be another guy who's probably going to be a slot at the next level, but if you're going to be a slot, you have to uh, You have to be a guy a reliable. You have to be a guy that your quarterback can rely on. Only two drops on 90 catchable passes this year. Only eight drops on 288 catchable for his entire career the way he attacks football is very good he is never going to be you know an elite type of not another guy who's not going to separate elite level down the football field but he does the little things well and will be a quarterback favorite at the next level 
there you go. I like. I mean, that's a good thing too. With slot receivers, I think it's important to bring up. You need to be sure-handed, and that includes both in open situations and in contested catches. I want you to be able to catch the ball in traffic because a lot of times in the slot, maybe you're not going going up against one-on-one situations, but you are a lot of the times in traffic catching balls through contact. Prochet does a great job of that. Let's bring up an absolute burner here: Alabama receiver mm-hmm. Devonte Smith. This guy is an absolute lightning bolt at the release point. I really do like his releases. He's great on the deep routes. I, I do like Devontae Smith. This is a guy that I think could be very good in the NFL and is not getting enough hype, in my opinion. Yeah, coming into the year, I was like, I didn't really see it. A lot of, uh, he was kind of, uh, everyone's like, oh, this Alabama wide receiver core, three first rounders. And I was like, Devontae Smith, I, I can get on board with Ruggs and Judy. Devontae Smith, I just didn't see whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I don't think so. He looks like he's, you know, 160 pounds out there. He's skinny as can be. Uh, really straight line sort of player sort of wide receiver but i think this year has really impressed me with his after the catch ability has really impressed me with his ability at the catch point as well i think a lot of speed wide receivers in the nfl uh, a lot of things that separates the good the good deep threats from the just fast guys who can't play a lick of football is the way they track the football down the field the way they attack it he attacks it the right way he has had multiple times down the football field where he has you know made contested catches uh, over cornerbacks we saw what he did to Derek stingley in that lsu game he's definitely sort of changed my opinion on him fairly drastically over the course this year made our top 100 i'm still not on board with him as a complete wide receiver by any means he is basically screen or deep ball sort of guy at this point for alabama but it's a good start i mean if you're going to win win down the football field and that's where smith's winning and screen or deep ball it's largely because his route running still lacks polish i i I still think he can improve as a route runner and i think that's why you see 215 yards 274 yards and then games of 26, 18. You, know, you see the inconsistency because it's big play or nothing. Yeah, and I think that speaks to him not being a complete receiver yet. Maybe he returns to school. I think there is enough hype around him that he might declare for the 2020 NFL draft. But if he returns to school and is the clear-cut number one at Alabama, I think there's opportunity for him to even raise his draft stock further. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch on that when we talk about Henry Ruggs a little oh, bit later. Okay, here. okay. Well, a little teaser then. Yeah. We'll do a little teaser. Let's go to last guy on the Bolitnikoff uh, semifinalist, semifinalist list, Sage Surratt of Wake Forest. He did injure his shoulder. He won't be in for the rest of the year. I think, And I think that's a big reason why that's you're not voting him in. Exactly. But, Injury aside, talk to me about Surratt as a prospect. Yeah, Surratt was healthy, and he played this past week against Clemson and maybe showed out. We could have talked. We could have, Surratt, we could have put you in the top three. It would have been tough have, for him to show out how Smart bad Chase. Jamie Newman but <laughs> Well, I mean, it would have helped. It, that would have <laughs> definitely helped because they, he didn't. Jamie Newman didn't have much of a chance, and another guy we'll touch on mm-hmm. a little later here. But yeah, Surratt, another guy who very much flown up draft boards this year with his performance. The mo- still, even though he missed the Clemson game, still has the most contentious, contested catches in the country this year. I think he's gone 18 of 30, which is a really, really, really good rate as well. Physical, not fast. Uh, he might not. He might run the four sevens. Like he's just. Whoa. He's very not fast. But I, I think he can win with his physicality. He knows how to. Uh, he knows how to use his size to win when a guy is on his hip. You know, he's not going to uh, shake a guy, but he's not going to let. Uh, he's not going to let a corner, a smaller cornerback, stick with him because he is going to dip that shoulder and you know, stick his foot into you know the opposing wide receiver, use that leverage, and then push off that guy to create that separation. That's what he's he's already good at. That he already has that innate sort of ability. That's difficult to teach a guy how to uh, utilize their leverage. So I do think Surratt. Uh, is another bigger body wide receiver that knows how to use that size and can actually uh, play. And Austin's set an alarm for right in the middle of the podcast, which <laughs> I can't fathom why. I don't would. know why, uh, why that's going on. But, um, yeah, I agree with you on Sage Rod. Let's move forward to uh, the Raise a Glass segment where we're going to be discussing. Let's start with Michael Pittman Jr. of USC. We already talked oh, wait, about To him. recap, one was CeeDee Lamb. Two was Michael Pittman. Three was Jamar Chase on, on your, my list. On your vote. So, and that drops the... Next week, I think. 25th? Something like that. So, yeah. Um, So, you go ahead and let's move to the Raise a Glass segment. Michael Pittman Jr., we talked about him as a Bolitnikoff finalist, but this past week Mm -hmm. turned in an absolute stunning performance against California. Yeah. Like I said, the one drop, but it was a... It was a drop that he basically uh, was getting all over. It could have been flagged for P.I. Had the touchdown where uh, it was just another jump ball where he showed that he is more physically dominant than the corners he's going up against. He has better ball skills. He has incredible body control. You know, it was a little toe tap on the sideline there for him and just continuously open 
in the intermediate range for that USC offense. You have Amon Ross St. Brown. You have Tyler Vaughns, two guys who will be drafted in the NFL. Amon Ross St. Brown probably uh, possibly in the first round next year, but it's Michael Pittman who continually produces at the highest level of that receiving core with a less than stellar you know, backup quarterback situation there for USC. Absolutely. You know, 180 yards in this game and a touchdown, but I will say this. This is one of his better games of the year, but if you are going to watch a game and absolutely fall in love with him, that Utah, Utah. game. Go, yeah. go watch that Utah game. He hauled in 10 of 11 receptions for against Jordan. Utah. Best defense they faced all year, too. Exactly. Good cornerbacks. They have mm-hmm. a couple good cornerbacks there at Utah. And good safety. So yeah. 232 yards, a touchdown in that game. I think that one is a very good game to watch if you are trying to fall in love with Michael Pittman. I'm sure everyone is. Uh, let's go to the next guy we're raising a glass for. South Carolina defense interior, Javon Kinlaw. Nine total pressures against Texas A&M. And, and this is what I saw with Kinlaw. He does a ton of it at nose. He is bullying mm-hmm. centers at nose. And it's so hard. We've seen here. PFF. It's so hard as an interior pass rusher to win from that zero technique alignment. I mean, Ed Oliver struggled to do that at Houston. He's doing it at South Carolina. Very impressive game for him. Yeah, that's the thing is that he's doing it at a position that uh, realistically not going to be his best position in the NFL. He's going to be probably a three technique, four technique. He's going to be guard or over tackle sort of guy in the NFL at six six. Uh, it's just tough to you know hold up double teams in those. That's not where we're going to be playing. So doing it at a different position uh, is always encouraging. It shows like a shows a diverse skill set. It shows that you're not sort of a one trick pony. I do think Javon Kinlaw he's going to be able to rush the passer in the NFL. He has everything, every sort of trait and the production to match. So yeah, he's really we were excited about his prospects heading into the year and i think he's firmly put his stamp on that first round i wouldn't be surprised if he makes his way into the top 10 with he uh tests well out in indy wow that's uh, that's high praise for javon kinlaw but well deserved again that texas a&m mm-hmm. game he put some dudes in body bags in that game i was very impressed with how dominant and, and that's what we're looking for interior pass rush too it's more than the pressure count it's more than that it's how you win it's how you win as a pass rusher is it early in the snap from what technique are you getting are you is stunting creating pressure are you winning these mm-hmm. one-on-ones there's a lot that goes into those pressure numbers nine pressure sounds great but when you dive into the film he also looked very good on that let's go to joe burrow LSU, an absolute rocket, the clear-cut favorite for the number one overall pick to the hometown Cincinnati Bengals. This guy has been playing at a completely different level than what we've seen here at PFF, earning very high grades, great on NFL throws, those throws in tight windows down the football field. Joe Burrow, we really can't say enough good things about this guy. His fifth straight game where he's completed over three quarters of his passes, over 75% of his passes for five straight games. Like That doesn't happen for one straight game for a lot of quarterbacks in college football. He, it's every single week for him. The stat that I tweeted out earlier that is one of the most absurd stats to basically describe Joe Burrow is on throws that aren't screens. His completion percentage this year is 77.2%. The highest we've ever seen before, six years doing this, so the previous five years, since 2014, is 69.1. And that was in Washington State's offense, Gardner Minshew, last year, where they're really not throwing, absolute the, baller, they're they're not throwing the football down the football field nearly as much as LSU is there. So he is night and day basically the difference between burrow and the best we've ever seen before is like the difference between uh number two and number like 50 usually uh in any given season so he is just on another level this week against Ole miss four big time throws four more one only one turnover worthy play uh he's just i mean i don't think there's a question about it at this point that he's number one overall pick and in looking at that list you tweeted out here garner Minshew at number two and then you have luke falk's 2016 season and luke falk's 2015 season at three and four it really speaks to that washington state offense that doesn't throw the football field down throw down the football field Mm -hmm. a ton and i think baker mayfield's the only guy even close to him in in kind of a different offense there joe burrow just absolutely lighting college football on fire above average joe this guy is legit number one overall pick let's go to iowa edge defender AJ Epinesa this game was incredible goes against the Minnesota left tackle and absolutely ruins him I, I'll admit I wanted to see Epinesa go against that 400 pound guy that the broadcast was like <laughs> a, a lion is this size yeah. he did you know four players on Penn State don't even add up to it I wanted to see him bull rush that guy because he's a monster mm-hmm. but he went against the left tackle at Minnesota and absolutely ruined him. They also played him inside where he won some pass rush um, snaps there as well. This was such a dominant game for him. I think the game to watch for him right now. Yeah, I don't want to say that I'm the reason why AJ Epines is doing this, but uh, after I called him out for his lackluster performance to start the year, not called him out. I was like, where, where's the AJ Epines we thought we'd see? That was in week six after the Michigan game. Uh, he has been the highest graded edge defender in terms of pass rushing in the country, or power five edge defender in the country. So uh, 
you're welcome, Iowa fans. I did it. <laughs> I, I was the one. I was the motivation behind his performance here. No, he's he's good. I mean, he's basically just reminding everyone that, oh, yeah, I still have it. Like, mm-hmm. I I have it. Uh, sorry, I'd, sorry it took me this long, but yeah, I'm back. So He looked so good in this game. I mean, it was his highest graded game of the year, and he's coming off what was his highest graded game from a pass rushing standpoint against Wisconsin, 88.9. This past week against Minnesota, a 91.2 pass rush grade, nine total pressures. I'm telling you right now, it was Silly. dominant tape, yeah. very dominant tape. Let's move forward to Clemson cornerback A.J. Terrell. I watched his key plays and watched his targets in this one. Looked great in press coverage, good, good arms, and then on the pick, what I was really impressed with on the pick intercepts the ball gets good uh, from press coverage you know runs with the receiver down the field and then after the pick a little stiff arm on the receiver mm-hmm. head fake up to force him to tackle when you're making those plays after the catch i mean that's a little checkbox i have on my list here but aj terrell looked very good in this game do you, uh, he's kind of flown out of the radar because he hasn't put up big stats or anything heading into this week they've really just been untested in that clemson defense and they really kind of don't really play uh, a great schedule there in the acc but yeah against wake Scotty Washington, uh, only one of three targets, five catches, or excuse me, five yards. Had that pick that was just, I mean, perfectly played how you play a go ball from press coverage. Just press. As, once he realized he was uh, on top of the wide receiver, turns around, locates the ball, jumps up, high points, it gets it. Uh, he just has uh, the height, length, movement skills uh, to be a top tier cornerback in the NFL. A uh, little inconsistent. I think he's been more consistent this year. But I go back to the national championship game last year. Yes, he had the pick six uh, and a nice pass breakup. But he had one play where he ran stride for stride with Devontae Smith on a double move where it was just, I mean, Devontae Smith, elite level athlete. And he doesn't even, uh, he never had more than about a foot of separation on it. That was just beautiful. Uh, I do think A.J. Terrell uh, playing his way into the first round conversation at this point has kind of started the season right outside our, the top 30 for us could be making his way in soon. And he'll, be, not, and he'll be getting the te- tested down the stretch. That'll be nice to see him in the playoff. If he if it goes against LSU, if he goes against Ohio state, something like go. that. Yeah, absolutely. A guy that we didn't put on the final notes here, but I got to bring up this interception. He had Hamsa Nasral Dean mm. against the Florida state safety. Number Hamsa. 23, Going against Alabama State, he gets this interception. It plays the ball really well, so it's a um, it's an out route. He jumps and then it goes into a scramble drill. The guy tries to wheel up the right sideline. Nasral Dean, great interception, looks back to the ball. Then after it, jukes the intended receiver, and then there's this tight end that comes up. Alabama State tight end number ten. <laughs> you li- love this guy. Listed at six foot two, two hundred thirty two pounds, but he looks like six foot two, two fifty. An absolute unit out there, running oh, very yeah. unathletically. Jukes him twice, and then ends up taking it back to the house with a final juke on number seventy one. Their offensive tackle there, um, and he doesn't even touch him. This was a great pick six, great ball skills, great play after the catch mm-hmm. there. I, I'm I'm impressed with Hamza. And this Hamza's, game, yeah, eighty ninth on our draft board. And 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 in this game, he earned his highest overall grade overall grade of the year 84.6 largely because of that pick six that was pretty incredible but i encourage you to go watch that highlight it was it was fantastic to watch he's kind of a jumbo safety uh, could move to linebacker and they play him up a ton this guy comes and ruins in run defense he Mm -hmm. was just absolutely stacking some of these guys at alabama state it was it was a fun game to watch for sure they they kind of what they do with him last year he didn't grade out great for us last year because they would use him almost as a matchup weapon they they'd throw him on the goal like they threw him on the goal line last year against T Higgins and one-on-one coverage and it's just like just because they're both big and it's like that's not just because Hamza is 6'4 doesn't necessarily mean he can stick with T Higgins like he's still a safety uh it was 6'4 215 I think he might actually end up being a linebacker at the next level I like his versatility though and what he's shown this year mm-hmm Let's go to Georgia edge defender Malik Herring. I mean, this guy had a great game against Prince, Prince Tegawanoho against uh, Auburn. And I think when I wrote my notes here, I think this speaks to more of what Prince is able to do than what Malik's able to do. Because if you look at Malik in, in Georgia, those edge defenders play inside a ton. They play run fits first. And I think he is not a great pass rusher by any means, but he beats him quick, beats Prince quick twice. And then he also has a nice outside move for a pressure in this game as well. Malik Herring, this is one of the better games as a pass rusher we've seen from him. Yeah, I had higher hopes from heading into this year after a 78.4 pass rushing rate as a sophomore back in 2018. It really hasn't even played that much for him. Uh, didn't even have over 30 snaps in a game until this past week against Auburn. They had a 90.0 pass rushing grade against Auburn. But yeah, he's just not super athletic, Malik Herring. He wins with his wins with his hands, wins with technique, uh, and is kind of has some versatility in terms of at 6'3", 280, playing outside and kicking inside. But yeah, he's another guy who 
good week for him going up and saying it against Saguenoho, but he's probably coming back to school. I mean, he reminds me a lot of, you know, Jonathan Ledbetter, the, yeah. the other Georgia mm-hmm. edge defender. Now he's playing They're DI in the NFL, six foot four, 280 pounds. He's a guy that wasn't a great pass rusher, but played well against the Ron. I think they're very similar players, very similar prospects. That's what Georgia looks for, though. I interviewed Ledbetter before the draft last year, and he was telling me that Georgia just sells out to stop the run. Mm-hmm. In practices, they have this, like, I don't remember what he called it, but it was like something with blood involved, like blood practice, where they just play deep run defense the entire practice that's what breeds God. the malik that sounds like the uh the P- pff like <laughs> nightmare that's what like george and eric that's how they like it sounds like they're nightmares yeah, yeah absolutely um but yeah malik herring good stuff there against prince taking we know we'll talk talk about prince a little bit later tristan Wirfs of iowa zero pressures allowed against carter coughlin minnesota he continues to play at a very high level yeah malik or excuse me tristan Wirfs. jeez i'm still on malik herring yeah, tristan Wirfs though didn't allow a single pressure now he didn't go up against carter coughlin as much as i would have hoped they kind of like threw Coughlin around and ran a ton of stunts and whatnot it wasn't it wasn't great uh in terms of scouting but didn't allow single pressure didn't even allow like guy within like a few feet of the QB to be honest like there was just no one even coming close to testing him in this game so another another nice solid outing for a top 10 player on our draft board here in Tristan Wirfs there you go let's go to the next segment here get a little bit negative here pour one out this is where we talk about some of the bad prospect performances from the weekend Let's start with Auburn tackle. Prince yeah. Tegovanoho did not have a good day against a bad, not a bad pass rusher, but not a good one in, in Malik Herring. This was a huge concern for me. Yeah, I, he has dropped all the way down to 96 on our draft board. And he might drop out of the top 100 here very soon just because he had the foot speed is the agility is a very big question mark. And the fact that when he does uh, not land that first punch and not, you know, sort of win on contact his feet stall and he just has no recoverability just n- not any uh, sort of ability to win ugly it's either uh, he wins handily or he loses pretty uh, pretty like pretty handily so that's the worrisome thing to me about Tegawinogo and yeah like I said I think he might be dropping on the top 100 here soon for us just a not a great senior year I I, had, I thought with you know not having played offensive tackle that we were just seeing uh, just seeing like the budding uh, of a guy who was going to be better. Like I thought we we're just seeing a guy just figuring it out last year and still grading out well has not been the case. On the Thursday podcast, we looked at the 34 and a half point spread for, <laughs> for, for Clemson Wake Forest. And we we're like, wow, that seems crazy. Jamie Newman's playing well. They should be able to cover that. No problem. Well, we don't Jamie, know what we're talking about. Jamie Newman turned in an absolutely ugly well the wake forest team mm-hmm. as a whole without sage Surratt, this guy was lost it, it was not great I mean, he made bad pass after bad pass it was not a good performance for jamie newman a guy we've mm-hmm. hyped up on the podcast he goes against legit competition in clemson and legitimately looks like a different player i, I remember so um before the Notre Dame Alabama national championship game, I guess Everett Golson was in the locker room. One of the so one of the players, Austin Collins, was actually on that team. I remember him saying that he's never seen a guy look more nervous than Everett Golson in the locker room before Alabama, and he came out and played like just ass right away in the first half. That's what Jamie Newman looked like right out the gate. Is he just looked nervous? His very first pass was a designed fake screen with like a wheel route, and the wheel route was open right away. Like. The design where it was supposed to go was wide open, and he's about a full second, almost a full second late to it, and throws a pick. Like, that was just, he was so late to get to his guy right off the bat, and it just was quicksand from there, just nothing going right for him. Uh, you know, couldn't find an open receiver to save his life. There were some opportunities to be made, couldn't make them. Uh, awful for him. Six of 14, 41 yards and two picks. It was just... Yeah, that was about as bad gets. We got to stay with Wake Forest. They got a couple guys here. Uh, Isang Bassi, the safety for them, did not have a good grade, allowed a touchdown in this game. And this was an opportunity. I mean, it was an opportunity for all Wake Forest prospects to really, like, you know what? This is my time to get, throw myself onto the map and, and solidify myself as a top prospect. Bassey struggled in this game, like like Jamie Newman did, and like another player we'll bring up later. Yeah, Bassey, 53.8 grade. And yeah, the other one, just bring up Carlos Basham, was the one that was more. Bassey, we always saw as kind of a late rounder. So it was a proven ground for him but we were high on Basham I, I thought he was possible first rounder but when he goes up we mentioned on that Thursday pod we we're saying you know Jackson Carmen you're not gonna be able to bull rush him mm-hmm. that's a big ass dude at left tackle there for Clemson you're gonna have to have some sort of plan B against that guy some sort of counter there was none one pressure 28 pass rushing snaps for Basham so that is that's worrisome mm-hmm. going into the NFL. And you hate, no to, other. you hate to, you know, at any point in anything, pour a ton of um, 
weight into small sample sizes. Mm-hmm. But with with edge defenders and even you know, receiver cornerback battles, it's important to look at these matchups against good, legit competition and extrapolate mm-hmm. a ton of value from it. Because if Basham can't do it against Carmen, it's mm-hmm. going to be very hard for him to do it against NFL tackles at the next level. Well, yeah, I think it's when it's when it's against good competition and it's such a drastic change versus yes. against bad competition. Mm-hmm. When you're when you're dominating his so is great against Utah State, highest of the year, eighty six point one. Yeah, when you dominate that, but you go up against a real guy in Jackson Carmen who's probably going to be you know a, a top few round prospect in the coming years. That's concerning. Mm-hmm. Like that, that those are the guys that you're going to be playing against. If you can't do it now. What are the chances you're going to be able to do it later? There you go. Another guy, and I was surprised to see this on the list here, Henry Ruggs, Alabama. But again, it's, I think it, it speaks to, I mean, he had a great great start to the season, a ton of hype, absolute burner, you know, everyone praising his speed, but has not played well down the stretch. A guy we're going to pour one out for. Well, yeah, he's just 268 yards in his last six games. And I kind of just wanted to bring up the conversation of, are all three Alabama wide receivers, all juniors, are they all going to come out? Like one guy could return and be, you return, you're the guy next That's year. what I said about Devontae Smith. You go, you come back, but Devontae Smith's already over a thousand yards. Like mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be him heading into this year, but all of a sudden he's probably, I'm not sure if you're, you're over a thousand yards in Alabama. I'm not sure how much you're going to raise your draft stock going into, uh, you know, 2020 rugs and only 618 yards this year, only 729 yards last year. Never had a high. It's never been, you know, elite level uh, sort of, yard production comes back next year you're the guy in that offense you're the one getting those screens you're the one getting the plays feature for you is he the one that comes back i think there's a legit conversation or a legit question to be asked if it will be if henry ruggs will be returning to school i mean like the talent's still there 32 catches doesn't have a single drop on the year like he still has a lot going for him and i think nfl evaluators will be able to see that but are you going to draft a guy with 700 yards you know top 20 DK Metcalf all the way to the end of the second round last year with that. So I don't know. We'll see. Interesting. It is an interesting conversation. One I haven't seen. I think we'll, we'll be paying close attention to that Alabama, that trio of Alabama receivers and whether or not all of them declare, obviously Judy declares. I mean, he's probably a lock for top 10 pick top 15 pick, Mm -hmm. but rugs and Devontae Smith, I think do, do, do have, a, um, a decision to make. It's mm-hmm. less. It's less of a clear cut thing there. Grant Delpit. He's he's been landing on this side of the on uh, this side of the ball. <laughs> so for a while now he is. I'm pretty sure hurt. Mm-hmm. And like actually, after the Alabama game, so he had an ankle injury against Auburn. They had the bye. Comes back against Alabama. Doesn't play well. And I think this game, the fact that he graded, you know, he played terribly against Ole Miss, was almost good. In my eyes, because I'm like, oh, okay, so the Alabama game is probably was hurt as well. Like he, these were the two lowest games of his entire career was Alabama and Ole Miss. That doesn't just happen midway through your junior year. You don't have back to back terrible games after an ankle injury unless it's actually hampering your play. So it's almost like, oh, okay, that Alabama game, that Ole Miss game, you can almost throw those out. He was definitely hurt these past two weeks. Uh, that ankle is definitely bothering him over here. So I, I just don't. So good there's news, no man. way. Yeah. So this is almost a, this is a poor one out. Back-to-back lowest grade games of his career, but also, hey, it's probably tape you can just throw out as well. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that should be a segment. We got to think of a clever name for tape to get something tape about to throw out. out. Yeah, to tape something. To throw out. Okay, I like that. But I we'll, I'll, we'll brainstorm I'll, I'll later. Workshop it. Yeah, I'll workshop it. Uh, we're going to move on to our next segment though that already has a fantastic name: Rolling Rooks. We're talking about top rookie performances from the weekend. Let's start with Oakland Raiders cornerback who made PFF's team of the week, Trayvon Mullen, the former Clemson product who we thought was a bit of a reach in where they took him. I think it was inside the top thirty-five or maybe thirty-fifth overall mm-hmm. in the twenty nineteen NFL draft this past week against Cincinnati, which isn't great competition, but. A four receptions from seven targets for 24 yards and had a pick a game ceiling pick and a pass breakup that but would have been a pick he he had to have uh i mean he's going up against ryan finley they owned ryan finley at clemson true he felt like he was back home like this is why like had struggled we had said struggled the game before uh, against the chargers uh but this one I, I mean i think he had the scouting report he just was not afraid of getting beaten deep and this one wasn't afraid of going over the top sitting on a lot of underneath stuff could have had a couple more picks uh in this game but yeah he was he was I, what I was most impressed with outside of the, you know the the jumping on those underneath balls. Yeah, that I think he just knew that Ryan Finley uh, was you know rookie quarterback. That was pretty obvious. But I was impressed with his play at the line of scrimmage, his physicality. Uh, I thought he was a little overly physical at Clemson, and I wasn't sure if his press ability was going to be able to translate to the NFL. I thought he was patient. And I thought when he was in press coverage in this game, that he wasn't. Uh, 
overly, you know, jumpy, overly, uh, you know, uh, excited to lay that blow uh, and was sticking with guys off line of scrimmage was getting good jams in. Good jams. I mean, there was, I, I will say this on the, op- or one of the opening plays of the game, he does try to come down on a swing pass to the running back and misses a tackle. And he did get called mm-hmm. for a DPI in the end zone, but I think he made up for it when they started to play him in man. He started to have some better reps. And then, obviously, um, when you have that, when you're looking at the tape here, the game ceiling interception, it was in cover three, played up, and then it turned into a scramble drill, chased back, and, and got the interception. And that other one where he jumped it, it would have been a pick six. He just mm-hmm. dropped it. I think yeah. he, he played a great, really good game against NC State product, Ryan Finley, and uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. I think that's good. That's very good for the Oakland Raiders. Yeah. I mean, this is a rookie class that had some doubts here and there, but they're getting quality production mm-hmm. from Josh Jacobs, obviously Jonathan um, Abram on the IR, but Trayvon Mullen now playing well, and, and Max Crosby, the yeah. next guy on this list. Eight total pressures, four sacks, four hurries, and a forced fumble. He put John Jerry in a blender. Yes. It was very bad. And, and Max Crosby, great length, great athleticism coming out of Eastern Michigan, and he's getting better. I see him getting better every week. It looks very good right now. Yeah, we talked about in last week's pod. We said, like, if you objectively evaluated him and Cleveland Farrell, Max Crosby, you'd rather pick, you'd rather have Max Crosby right now. Mm-hmm. Like, he was fourth round, picked, you know, 102 picks later, but you'd rather have Max Crosby with what he's done as a rookie, with his size, length, athleticism profile, uh, and the past two weeks, 15 pressures over the past two weeks. Now, he's going up against John Jerry, who uh, is a career guard who they've thrown at left tackle and has been terrible this year. So, yes, uh, that little caveat, but it's good to be, you, you should beat up the bad guy. So, four sacks, four more hurries, had a little nice cross chop move on the outside there for a forced fumble. He has been uh, very good. And for and, a, you know, a rookie fourth rounder, I mean, they have something here. And, and speaking of, um, you should beat up the bad guys here. You know, Cleveland Farrell didn't record a single pressure against John Jerry in 32 matchups or 11 matchups in this game. That's uh, yeah. that's not great. You'd mm-hmm. like to see him beat John Jerry of um, career guard. But I mean, that's been the case for Max Crosby and um, for the past two weeks now going against bad off to tackles and beating them. But we mm-hmm. always say this and it's kind of a weird phrase, but you got to beat the bad guys first, beat the guys that suck. And then eventually when you get down the road, yeah, you don't have a breakout game. Uh, against joe thomas that's not gonna be your coming out party it's gonna be against this john jerry i will say this too Deion sanders if you ball you get the call max crosby got the call so i mean i do love that segment by the way i want to get to that level where like i'm cool enough to where if somebody balls i'm the one giving the call but i don't know if i'll ever get there renner just help me out and try me get there let's go devin bush next guy on the rolling rook segment here Looks very good in this game. I, I still, when I turn on um, the tape here with Devin Bush, I think the, the biggest thing that pops out for me is he's very fast and has really good sideline to sideline range. There was a play in this game. It went for a defensive stop. It was, I think it was a screen pass to Kareem Hunt. And he, it was, a, it was play action to the right. He flows to the right, sees the screen, bails, and is able to get back there for a defensive stop. Those are rare plays at the linebacker position. It's very hard for a lot of linebackers yeah, his, to commit to one read and then flip to another and make a play. His range looks about as good as it gets in the NFL right now. Like That's how fast and how fast he plays uh, when he sees something and reacts. Uh, he, he made a couple plays underneath in this one. Had two coverage stops uh, on his only target. Three Only allowed three yards. That was a stop as well. So it was a, a very good day at the office. And... Uh, we mentioned earlier uh, in this a uh, few weeks ago about how it's just he was so his grade man coverage was absurd. His grade in zone coverage was not so much because he just was a tick slow. I think you're seeing his, the wheels speed up as the season goes on, though, for him. Moving forward here, let's go ahead and talk a little Debo Samuel. This guy's been very good for the San Francisco 49ers. I think only the only guy that's been better than him as a rookie receiver is probably Terry McLaurin. Mm-hmm. Debo Samuel has been playing well, very good after the catch. He's good in contested catch situations, too. Did you see that catch he made? That was crazy. It, that was insane. Debo I know Samuel. watching it, I was like, oh, my God, Patrick Peterson, no, they have... They have a, the Cardinals have a cornerback named Kevin Peterson. Yes, number Kevin 27. Peterson, I was yes. like, oh, shit. How are you going to do that to me? Yeah, yeah. Debo Samuel went eight for nine, 134 yards. He is playing very well right now. Yeah, I mean, he has had a bit of a drop issue. He has six drops of 44 catchable. And the one in this game was wide open. It, yeah. it was not a good drop. But he only had 11 on 159 in college. So I think it's more... I'm going to trust that larger sample size. I think that'll sort of even out as we see the season go on. But he has had three straight games with drops. So uh, that something to monitor. But yeah, the dude gets open and he has that almost uh, he has that running back type bodied where after the catch, he's pretty damn good as well. Twelve broken tackles already this year on 38 receptions, which is for the NFL. Like We talked about. C.D. Lamb was 18 on 44 in college is a crazy rate. 12 on 38 is absurd at the NFL level. Mm-hmm. 
All right, moving forward here. Let's talk Terry McLaurin. I mean, this is another guy against, another one, yeah. against the New York Jets. I mean, had a couple great contested catches, one of which against Jamal Adams, another one deep down the field. Terry McLaurin has been really, really impressive this year. Great speed, now great in contested catch situations. You really can't say enough good things about him. And, except and, and the, he had his biggest play called back in this mm-hmm, one. Yes. Yeah, a six, seven yarder, I think, called back in this game. So he is their number one. Like he. They needed someone to step up, and I think I think they found one. Yeah, mm-hmm. going to David Long, uh, a guy you you really liked coming out of Michigan. He mm-hmm. played really well in that kind of man heavy defensive scheme. Didn't play a ton against the Chicago Bears. I saw one key rep though, man coverage against Taylor Gabriel at the line of scrimmage. Sticks with him stride for stride in the red zone, and and doesn't necessarily force an incompletion, but that ball goes overhead. I think you have to be impressed with what David Long can do in man coverage, and now he should have the opportunity with um, uh, in in Los Angeles. Yeah, this thing is he has basically not played all season long only his second game he's played on defense this year and i thought he was really impressive he yeah, like said that taylor gabriel press coverage against him that's should be where he wins against those shorter quicker guys he should be able to stick with them that is uh what he did so well at michigan and on a go route uh, in the end zone absolutely in his hip pocket incomplete pass and then he actually mirrored uh alan robinson coming out of the backfield uh was right at the catch point still caught it but it was only a six yard gain so I, I do think the two targets he saw in that game he was in very good coverage on both i it was an encouraging start i mean obviously a tiny tiny sample size we need to see more but uh if he is forced into some action for them a little more i think they're in good hands mm-hmm. all right let's go to the blackout segment this is where we're talking about some of the most bad rookie performances from the weekend we're going to start we praise devin bush a guy with a ton of range devin white of lsu he also has a ton of range but he has been struggling this year coming off this game 11 of 11 targets 93 yards allowed in coverage i mean devin white's really struggling around what are you seeing from him so this looks like the devin white we saw a couple years ago where he just thought he was so athletic at lsu where he thought he was so athletic that he could you know have leeway to make whatever play uh, he wanted didn't have to sort of play assignment sound football he had a couple of plays in the flat where he's looking at the quarterback like he sees he sees the route develop he knows where the receiver is but he's too busy staring at the quarterback to be close enough to affect the pass like he, he gave up uh, one to Alvin Kamara for a first down third down one to I uh, can't remember off the top of my head it was another receiver in the flat that he ends up just whiffing on and not actually finishing the play like he has to in the NFL, you can't be staring at the quarterback the linebacker position. You have to be you have to play the wide receiver first or the running back first. You have to play the guy you're covering first and then look to the football second, you know, find that afterwards. I think he has to just make that change because the athleticism's there. I mean, he was he could have easily broken up multiple passes in that one. And yes, he allowed eleven catches for ninety three yards and they weren't all bad. He did make some nice plays underneath because they allowed eleven of eleven targets. Doesn't mean they're all, you know, bad plays on his part. But I think we're still seeing guy playing a little too slow and having some of those bad habits from college carry over mm-hmm. all right this next guy on the list okay i know he's under the blackout segment but we might need another segment that is even worse than a blackout because this isn't just a performance to forget this is something where you wake up the next day and it, it you know you did something wrong and then you find you're in handcuffs you're like, I'm, in, I'm in prison i'm not prison probably you know the drunk tank whatever it may be because yes. this was a blackout that you want to forget but i don't know if he'll ever be able to forget this adrian claiborne and Vic Beasley put Greg Little, left tackle for the Carolina Panthers rookie, into a body bag. Oh, Adrian Claiborne, there's that one bull rush snap. I know you saw it. Yeah. We, we got to bring it up. Where he puts just Greg Little on skates and then some. 14 pressures allowed in this game. This was one of the worst rookie tackle it was, performances in a game. <laughs> it was so weird. It, it just I don't I don't know what his plan was on some of these because he was <laughs> he would literally take his set about a foot away from. Kyle Allen's drop back like he he was begging to be bull rushed by Adrian Claiborne like he was uh, it was just he didn't have a plan of attack that I thought was I don't know it, it was ugly mm-hmm. Adrian Claiborne baptizes you know yes. un- rookie tackles bad tackles backup tackles that's his you know MO uh, but I just it's something something he had a concussion maybe he's still not right for that yeah Greg Little, that's why he and was out a, there was something just off it was it, one of the most it was just a weird ass performance this is an uh, Adrian Claiborne too that openly says he has like one move there was that time where he, where he beat <laughs> the hump, Jazz yeah. Green like to a pulp and then they can you know, like interview him like oh man how'd you have this game and it was like no I do I have one move and he just literally couldn't stop it and Greg Little in this game could not stop anything Adrian Claiborne Adrian Claiborne pulled off an inside move against him yeah. that's ridiculous I mean 
mean, it, uh, like you said, I don't think he, maybe he blacked out the night before. <laughs> now he had a blackout performance because it was just That's not it. a good game mm-hmm. for Greg Little. Another offensive tackle making the blackout segment here, Justin School, who's played very well for the San Francisco 49ers as a fill-in option for um, Staley, but mm-hmm. I, and this game was not his game. Yeah, I mean, he went up against Chandler Jones, mm-hmm. and Chandler Jones so one of the craftiest, the one of the craftiest edge defenders in the NFL. Uh, he's going to take a rookie tackle and just take him to task. Like eight mm-hmm. pressures in this one school allowed. He he really didn't have a chance. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you're not asking a late round rookie to go one on one against Chandler Jones. You're just asking for trouble, and that's what happened. Yep, absolutely. Chandler Jones, man, again underrated. I think every time I see him playing well, I'm like, man, he's just so good. But I feel like he just doesn't get talked about enough. I mean, when you compare, and he's him. one of the interesting guys who like gives you know tyron smith of the world trent williams of the world he'll have a game where he he puts them mm-hmm. you know like I said a lot of guys don't beat you don't see them lose a lot you don't have good games against guys like that we're talking about the rookies you don't have your coming out party against guys like that because they just they don't lose tyron smith will get whooped by chandler jones sometimes trent williams will get whooped by chandler jones sometimes he is the guy that can beat up on the good tackles in the nfl i will say this tyron smith and this is a little bit i guess a three for one but against detroit Trey Flowers was putting that kid on skates. Tyron Smith really struggled in that game. And Trey Flowers showed a lot for me, in my opinion. He played really well against Tyron Smith this past week. Um, Let's go ahead and chug a prospect. And this is an unfortunate one. Um, I always want to pour one out just for this situation. But to attack Viloa, obviously has the significant hip injury that will keep him for the rest of the season potentially longer. It is going to be a long road to recovery for him. It's fortunate that on Twitter you're seeing him in the hospital bed playing the Mm -hmm. ukulele. I mean, that's positive spirits. But this guy, it it was very unfortunate situation for him but he will finish his alabama career with a 91.7 pff passing grade one of the better college football quarterbacks we've seen in the yeah. PFF i mean era. he never played bad football is the crazy thing. like he was always good even mm-hmm. when he fills in the national championship game uh and wins that he just has always played good football uh and i do think he was every bit a franchise quarterback every bit a franchise prospect now he's going to have an asterisk next to his name on all our rankings being like hey we're not doctors we have no clue what the prognosis is we have no clue what's going to happen with that hip but if you can promise me he's fully healthy not even by his rookie year by year two promise me he's fully healthy i'm more than willing to draft him right after joe burrow uh, if he is available we think he's that good dive into what i wrote here on his scouting report in the draft guide Pinpoint accuracy by any measure. He had the highest percentage of perfectly placed passes last year in all of college football. Dynamic runner capable of expanding the playbook to its fullest extent. Throws with anticipation well. Doesn't have to see a receiver open to throw it to him. Doesn't. I, I, this is probably his biggest positive to me was doesn't drop his eyes under pressure. Unafraid to maneuver tight pockets and step into throws. I, I think that is one thing you have to have at the college level. Yes, he has a very good offensive line, but even when it wasn't playing well, even when they were getting owned, I think he still is more than willing to you know maneuver that pocket and not just break out, not go out the back. That was the biggest thing. Here are his negatives, though. Arm strength on the low end for NFL starters. Pretty much you'll see a noticeable arc on any sort of downfield throw playmakers are obviously they get open you can trust playmakers because he knows they get open it's not going to be the same level of talent you know we talked about daniel jones it was going to be easier for him at the nfl level because of he's going to have guys open more that is not going to be the case for Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, gun shy, like and that goes right into this. He's gun shy, firing into tight windows. Only a forty three point three adjust completion percentage last year on tight window throws. That was fifty seventh in the nation. And then sometimes he'd have some panicky throws on first reads. Uh, he only actually went past his first read forty eight times all of two thousand and eighteen. So some interesting uh, sort of pros and cons there. He's not a perfect prospect by any means. He's not. Joe Burrow, but <laughs> I do think he's he's still the obviously the medical, but he's still if he's going to be healthy, he's still worth the top two pick. A ton of interesting notes in the 2020 NFL Draft Guide, and remember, all Edge and Elite subscribers at PFF do get access to PFF Mike's 2020 NFL Draft Guide. I could contribute to that too. We got some editors yeah. and some great graphics guys that contribute to that as well. But Mike is it's the man. Mine. It's the PFF. It's the PFF Draft Guide. Yeah. But Mike puts a lot of the pros and cons together. He does a really good job with the evaluation oh, here at PFF. Wow, a little pie on the back for you, man. <laughs> um, but that's going to do it for the Two for One Drafts podcast with myself and Mike Renner. Uh, remember, you can get us on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Podcast and live on YouTube Tuesdays and Thursdays. This has been great. Thanks again, Mike. This is going to be us, two for one drafts.